May we begin our worship of God by singing to his name in the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 36. You'll find that on page 44. Singing from verse 5 down to verse mark 10. Sing Psalms, Psalm 36, from verse 5. Your steadfast love is great, O Lord. It reaches heaven high. Your faithfulness is wonderful, extending to the sky. Your righteousness is very great, like mountains high and steep. Your justice is like ocean depths, both man and beast you keep. How precious is your steadfast love, what confidence it brings. Both high and low find shelter in the shadow of your wings. We'll sing from verse mark 5 down to the end of verse mark 10 to God's praise. Your steadfast love is great, O Lord. We stand as Your steadfast love is great, O Lord. Yes. Yeah. 
May we join together one another in prayer. Let us approach God with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us again, this opportunity to come and worship your name and sing praises to you and sing of that steadfast love that endures and under the shelter of your wings for both high and low find a shelter and shadow under it. Lord, whoever we are and whatever status we hold in society, we are not distanced from the God of salvation. We are not distanced from Jesus the Christ, Jesus who went to the cross to die for sinners. For we are all sinners. When we look within the depths of our hearts, we see the sin lurking and lying there. And often we try to hide it and we are ashamed to speak of it. But there are times that it is greatly evident, especially when we come before you, one who is so holy, one who is so upright, and one who does demand all reverence from us. So Lord, as we approach you today, pray that we would do so with a humble spirit, acknowledging that we are indeed in need of you and are found wanting before the name of God. We are deserving to be punished for we have sinned and fallen short. But thanks be to our God, who graciously sent his Son, the Son that came and acquired salvation for us, and the Spirit that has left us an application and working within us. So we ask that your Spirit be with us as we gather in your name, that it would be a guide to our minds and our thoughts, that it would be an opening to our ears, removing the scales from our eyes that hide the wonder and glory of God from us. Let that Spirit enable us to see Christ Jesus in all the fullness of his love he had for his people and how he came as that great lamb that was to be sacrificed that great Redeemer, that would give us freedom in our lives, freedom from slavery, freedom from bondage, and freedom to enjoy his privileges to us. Lord, may we question where we stand before you this day as we gather. And we pray that your power of the power of your word would go out amongst this town, out amongst this nation, convicting and converting, applying it to men that they may see their need and illuminate by the power of your light who they are before God. Lord, we pray for those who are bereft this day and those who feel the ongoing loss of bereavement. Pray you be their comfort. 
pray they know your spirit. Pray they turn to your word to give them that assurance of your presence with them. And Lord, we remember those who preach your word and we particularly remember Donald as he prepares for his licensing. We pray for him tonight as he leads our worship. Pray that you would reassure him and give him every encouragement in his work for your cause as he has committed his life to be a preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for more men and women to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray for men that will come forth and stand as preachers and leaders of the gospel in this nation and in this day. Lord, we do not know how white the fields are for harvest, but we are reminded that we must continue to pray for laborers who will reap the benefits of the harvest and sow the seed even if it be sown in tears. But we pray that every seed sown with tears would return, would have him return with bountiful joy as we snow in the sands. Lord, we pray next door for the children that gather and we pray for their meeting that they will have with Muriel. We ask that all the technology would work and that they would enjoy their time together. We pray for these young people. We pray that they would gain an understanding of who Jesus is, what he has done for them and what he can do for them in their lives. As they look forward with great anticipation of what their life shall be and all their desires and all their wants and the excitement of youth, I pray that they would set God before them in all these things. For we learn as we grow older that we can have our visions, we can have our desires. But if they are not in line with the will of God, then they will come to nothing and we end up wasting our energy and fighting and opposing against the will of God. So let us be and learn to be submitting to you who is over all things, the one who does order light of day and the natures and seasons of this world, that we would acknowledge you as such, the great creator of all. Let us stand in awe of you today. We pray that as we come to your word, you would open it to us. We pray that your spirit would guide us through it and take us and apply it to everyone that is gathered here, even in the reading of your word, how precious it is to us and how vast a treasure it is to the believers in you, of your works and your name. So Lord, we ask, be with us in our praise, be with us in our worship of you as we gather together. Help us to see, help us to understand and know the privileges of what it is to be in the family of God and secured, therefore, in that family by the works of Jesus Christ. Nothing of what we have done ourselves, but all to the praise of that name who is our Saviour. And we ask these things in his name, in Jesus Christ, our Lord.
Amen. Now, I'd like to say a quick word to the younger ones who are here in Sunday school, but there may be some watching online. I want today to say a little bit about families, and we'll do so in the service, and hopefully it'll tie, it'll tie in with our service later on. But all of us have a family, and we'll all be familiar with a family tree. Usually it'll start with one person at the bottom and it'll grow, They'll have, that person would have a child or two children, and then that, their daughter or sons would have more children, and this just keeps going and going and going and going, and it grows into this, what they call a family tree. But this tree, if we took it all the way back from ourselves, and we followed it all the way back, it would lead us back to Adam. And that would be the root of the tree, Adam. But we know that Adam sinned. And in a sense, this tree has been spoiled by sin ever since that first sin of Adam. This tree will die. This tree has something in it that will cause it to die. This sin will make it die. But in this tree, there is one element of hope. Within this tree, there was one man who came, Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives that, every person within that family tree, a hope to another family. Because it says in 1 John that See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The Father has loved us, that we would be called the children of God, and is willing to adopt us from this tree that is full of sin, and take us into this new family, and call us his child, that we would become a children of God. It's amazing that we could have such a privilege. And we had the picture of the tree to begin with, but now the picture that comes is, it's not one that grows from one person to the next and grows and grows and grows. We're all children if we believe in Jesus Christ. It's like God is in the center. We become children of God and there is a line directly to your name, to anyone who believes in Jesus. Jesus' name is there and all the believers' names are directly linked out from God because we become children of God. And maybe we could say, rather than it being a tree, it becomes like a ring. And there'll be just all these names of the believers of God coming out from his name and the center of who he is. And we know that rings, I have on a ring here, and we know that a ring symbolizes a promise. And that is what the believer has, a promise to come that God will be faithful to every believer. God will not leave his children. God will be with them 
throughout your experiences and for all eternity, the ring symbolizes an eternal promise. But there's a jewel in it, and that's Jesus. The jewel is Jesus in the ring. So we grow and we have our families here, but Jesus provides for us another family that we can be call God our Father. And what a privilege that is for us. So I pray that all of us understand what it is to be a believer in Jesus and the privilege that it is to be part of that family and that we would see Jesus Christ as a jewel to that life that will come for us. So we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you could turn to the word of God and we'll take a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. And we'll read from, we've got it down as verse 31, but I think we'll read from verse 28. Gospel of John, chapter 8, from verse 28. And, and just before I start reading, we have, you may see it in your Bibles, that there is a section there, I am the light of the world. Jesus is, Jesus is explaining to the people here within the courts of the temple who he is and trying to justify that, uh, explain and justify that who he, who he is. He has come on his fa- from his father and his father bears witness to him. And every point the Pharisees are questioning him on it. You know, why, 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 all the way through, do you believe this and we don't believe you? And, and then we can pick up our reading here at verse 28. Let us hear God's word. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. 
Yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality, but have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Amen. May the reading of God's word be blessed to us. May we continue in our singing praise to God by singing in Psalm 37 of the Scottish Psalter. You'll find that on page 255. Psalm 37 of the Scottish Psalter on page 255. We'll sing from verse 26 down to the end of verse mark 34. He's ever merciful and lends. His seed is blessed therefore. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For God loves judgment and his saints, leaves not in any case. They are kept ever, but cut off shall be the sinner's race. The just inherit shall the land and ever in it dwell. The just man's mouth doth with wisdom speak, his tongue doth judgment tell. We'll sing down to the end of verse mark 34. He's ever merciful and lends, his seed is blessed therefore. We'll stand and sing to God's praise. He's ever merciful and lends
turn back to the passage we read together. And for our text today, we'll look at verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Disputes always arise from differences, and often these things can be minor, unimportant, silly, little things that we get a bee in our bonnet about. And any conflict, as we know, has two sides to the story, and you know yourself, you can hear one side and it can seem quite justifiably right until you hear the other side. Disputes can get difficult, and they can be messy, especially when it comes to families. And that is usually the last thing we would ever want to happen. But unfortunately, it does. And family truths, whatever that may mean, may be spoken of and cause great offence or hurt to either side. And in most disagreements, if we have someone who is usually right with their opinion, and someone else with another opinion who is also right, that is funnily the truth of it. And the problem is that each side thinks of themselves as being right, hence the disagreement. But really, and it is not always the case, and I'm I want to say, maybe I want to be careful about how I put this across, but often we can be wrong ourselves, or each person can be wrong somewhere along the line in our understanding, even if it is just how we approach the person or how we deal with the situation. We can often be wrong in how we present ourselves or present what we believe to be right. And even it may point back to something far deeper within ourselves, like greed or lust or pride or something along those lines when we really look at what is wrong. But I am not here to offer advice on family quarrels. I'd prefer to avoid that if at all possible. But we can, in fact, observe in a reading a disagreement within the family of Israel or Maybe it would be easier if we understood a disagreement within the visible church of their day. Jesus is talking with the Jews. There are Pharisees within here, possibly Sadducees, different groups, but he's talking to them within the courts of the temple. That is clear uh, in verse 20. We didn't read it, but it says that he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he's speaking within the grounds of the temple and he's causing division amongst these people and some receive what he says, some reject it. But this is no surprise because this was expected to happen. And we can remember the words that are recorded in Luke 12 where it says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you but rather division. For from now on, one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. 
They will be divided, father against son, son against father, and so on. Jesus causes division by what he taught and by who he said he was. But this disagreement is different in a sense because you are disagreeing or they are disagreeing with not a sinful man, but the son of God. And if truth be told, he is always right and he always speaks truth. So we essentially have a non-starter to begin with on the path that they are proceeding with. But the Pharisees just don't accept it. They don't accept Jesus as being right. They oppose everything he has been teaching them. Everything has been said in the chapter. And so he gives them almost this hard-hitting family truth, as it will. But even in that, we see their pride of the men coming through to prove themselves on who they are and disprove what Jesus is trying to tell them and the truth of Jesus' word. And we know that that pride would ultimately grow within their hearts and the hostility would grow within them and they would refuse to hear anything that Jesus would say and they would seek ultimately to silence him by crucifying him. The truth that Jesus declares is that they are of different parentage in this passage. Your father is not my father. My father is God, your father is the devil. I cannot imagine this went down well with them. Rather than it being a disagreement within a family, what Jesus is actually saying is that they are of different families. There is a family of the saved and the family of the slaves. Two points that we can use to distinguish our time together today as we bring into focus the verses from 31 down to verse mark 38. We'll follow through in these verses so, and we'll see and relate the family of the saved and the family of the slaves as we do so. And we'll begin with the family of the saved because this is where Jesus begins and speaks with first. And in understanding of our context, you can see that in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. The people had believed, some had believed what Jesus spoke, what he had been teaching them with the familiar words that we know of as being the light of the world. He continues discussing with the doubtful Pharisees, not arguing back and forth, but he is proving who he is and telling them the truth that the Son of Man must be lifted up before they're really going to grasp this. And that is of itself a thought for us, the necessity that Christ would submit himself to the cross, the Son of God, so that we would know him. There are many ways that he could have revealed himself to us but we don't gain the clarity of it until he was crucified. It's a wonder to us. So we, so we can understand in that crucifixion who he is to us today, but it was also meant for them so they would understand in their time who he was. And likewise, that man that died at Calvary, so that they would believe is as much 
for you to believe in him. That we would become like the centurion that saw how he breathed his last. And the light of the world was revealed to him at that moment to confess that surely this man was the Son of God. See, the cross of Christ is a place of revelation, as it is still today, but also one that causes great division. And in our passage, what is it that Christ says to the family of the saved, to the believers? Let us read verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know truth, and the truth will set you free. And the first thing, this is applicable to them also as it is for us today, just as much as we were saying. What Jesus says here is a timeless truth because it is a a family trait of those who are saved that they abide in the word of God or they remain within his word. And the Christian should always be someone who dwells in the word of God. But it doesn't necessarily mean because you do read the word of God every day that you are a Christian. It doesn't qualify you instantly to be a Christian just because you read. We must believe what has been spoken to us. Believe in the Christ who speaks to us from it. Trust ourselves to that word so that the believer today comes to abide in it to dwell on it, to remain in it, to pray over it, to seek and to search it out and to know it as a living word to them, that it is alive to them. And the more we abide in it, the more we come to embrace it and love it and treasure it. The word abide can actually be rephrased to mean to be in a state that begins and continues. To be in a state that begins and continues in that state. It's not a state that begins and stops. The believer abides in his word and it portrays an ongoing trait within this family that continues with no end. And you might be here as a believer and saying, well, I don't feel like the word of God speaks to me like it did. I'm reading it, but it seems to be separate to me. I don't feel like it's directing me. I feel so distant from it. But you can confess that you know it to be the word of God. It just seems like it's become so distant to you. And maybe this is exactly what we need to hear. That we need to abide in this word. We need to come back to this word. And not just to read it, but to know that abiding in it. You can abide on a verse for a very long time. Especially if you would read something like Romans 8. I always remember the story of uh, Billy Bray. And he used to work down the mines. And the, the, the guys that used to work with him weren't believers. And they asked, where are you reading? And he would say Romans 8. And then they came back to him weeks later and asked where are you reading 
I said, oh, Romans 8. And they were going, you're still reading the same chapter you were reading weeks ago. And he goes, I can't remember what he said, but it was, it's a passage that you know is so full. And he really would have been meditating on it and dwelling on it and finding the riches in it and taking the time to read it. But on the other hand, we can be people that can just read Romans 8 and not take anything from it. We need to ask prayerfully that that word is opened up to us. We need to dwell on it, abide in it. And like I said, even a verse can do us more good than a chapter read. Even if we come back to the words that Christ himself spoke, to read them slowly and what he says, to prayerfully dwell on them. And I believe that he will be one that will restore you with a love for his word again. If we read on it, if we read over it, we pray over it, and we meditate over it, I believe that God will restore us. For he himself says that all that he has said, all these things are to keep you from falling away. For he has said all these things to keep you from falling away. John 16, verse 1. And maybe that's why it says if in our passage, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believe in him, if you abide in my word. That puts a condition, if. And the condition is if you. It places a weight in our laps, if you. And it evokes an element of uncertainty at the same time as placing that responsibility. Because he knew it would be hard. He knew it would be hard for us to continue to be faithful. And But if we continue, and if we are faithful, and if we abide in his word, then we will truly be his disciples. There is no going back. It was him who said, no one puts his hand to the plough and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. We must press on and go on with God. And those of us who sit at the Lord's table are abiding with Christ. Come what may in our lives, we are determined to go on with God, whatever may come, and believe that he will provide for us and meet our needs along the way. But it is fundamental for us to remember that our abiding is not if we are strong enough, if we are good enough, if we don't make mistakes, or even if we doubt ourselves. Otherwise, there would be none there. There would be none qualified to be a disciple. It is only if you abide in my word. Because Jesus knew that word would be the strengthening of his disciples and overcoming their weaknesses and is, in a roundabout way, the actual strength of our abiding. It identifies us as being set apart, but also strengthens us to be set apart if we abide in his word. It identifies us as this different family, but it also gives us a strength to 
maintain and continue as a member. But even in these verses, we can find confidence and assurance. Because if, which is conditional to us, if we, then it says that there will be subsequent results. There will be a condition of certainty. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Being a part of this family guarantees you privileges. Firstly, we will know the truth. A knowledge of the truth and what is true is a great blessing. Because then you can identify what's false. And the believer is a continual growing and knowing of truth by abiding upon him who is all truth. And that grows within us. So we see that truth and knowledge develop in us. For he will continue out of his grace to reveal his truth and of who he is to each of us when we abide in his word. And secondly, it sets us free. We begin to understand and increasingly grow in our knowledge of God as creator, as a God who is faithful to his people, and as a God loving enough to let his own son come as the redeemer, to cover our sins, to give the believer liberty. There is a freedom, even when we remember who God is. God is in control of everything. It gives the believer a freedom that the weight is not really upon them because they have a shepherd who directs them and guides them and takes that weight for them. Especially in times when we have no control. The shepherd guides us through these times. And Matthew Henry writes that the truth makes us free from our spiritual enemies, free in the service of God, and free to the privileges of sons. Read that again. The truth makes us free from our spiritual enemies, free in the service of God, and free to the privileges of sons. There are benefits and privileges of this truth. The truth will set you free. But the world will try and trap you. In many ways, one step down the wrong path can lead us into a mess. And we may say that of people that, you know, they took a wrong path in their life. And they went down that path. And we don't like to say, but it's, it's led them in the wrong ways. When it could have been someone else. We can easily fall into the traps of the devil. And it may not be that we choose to take a, a wrong step in our lives or we are led into a wrong step, but it may even be even such thing as the world of work that we can be trapped by that and trapped by businesses because business makes us slaves to demands, slaves to pressures, slaves to meeting deadlines. And we need to be careful of that, especially if we are in the world of business. But we, there are many, many ways 
which the world can try and trap us. And the devil will try his utmost. But we are accounted sons because he is our father. We are welcomed into this family because he is our father. And the most valuable thing a father can give a child is time. And we often forget this within our home lives and within our spiritual lives. But the truth is that this family who abides with God will have great privileges. It will be their greatest blessing if we abide as believers with our Father and in his word. We will be greatly blessed by it and see the blessing of it. You may not value the time your father gives you as a child, but you will see the blessing of it, I pray, as you grow older. But there are many out with this family who questioned what Jesus was saying, who opposed and dismissed all his lies, and the truth that he said, he didn't tell lies, but they dismissed his truth as lies. And they say that, well, I believe what I believe, you believe what you want. And that's, that's, the, that's the message of today. I believe what I want and you believe what you want and in the end everyone asks, well, what actually is truth? Because it's so muddled up, it's so opinionated. That's what Pilate ended up asking, even when truth stared him in the face. We cannot distinguish what actual truth is because everyone has their own opinion of it. And in a way, the knowledge of God is lost. The knowledge is, good, and the knowledge is lost. So I pray for everyone here that we may come to know the truth and the freedom, the knowledge of God, and be one who desires to be a part of the family, to believe in every word that Jesus Christ has spoken. Because he is one that will accept you, whoever you are. In whatever state we are in, he will welcome you into his family. So that's the family of the saved. And let us briefly look at the family of the slaves. How do they respond to Jesus in verse 33? They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say, you will become free. Remember, we are in the courts of the temple and there are many Jews listening to Jesus here. And the they is understood to be this group, but of those who did not believe, those who questioned it, the they that questioned it. And this is most likely to be the majority of the people. They know they are born of blood. They know their family lineage and they have placed their trust in this. They have been questioning and arguing with Jesus on every point since he began teaching in verse 12. And their pride comes through in opposition of every word, claiming that, well, we are already a free nation. We are set apart and born into the promises of Abraham. And it is almost as Jesus turns at this point now and says, look, I've been trying to teach you the truth the whole time, but you keep opposing it. So let me tell it to you all the more clearly. Maybe not an approach of anger, but definitely an approach of instruction to these Jews. And he begins by saying, truly, truly, 
And this we saw last week. We saw three truly, truly's last week. And it is of vital importance. And it is an emphasis for us to listen to what he is about to say. So what does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And in a sense... We are all slaves to sin since the fall. In our natural state, as we are born, we are corrupted by sin. And we all lived lives to a degree as slaves to sin. And only the believer learns by the truth and the knowledge, the outworking of the Spirit in his life, how to resist that sinful nature within us. But the others who abide without God's word, are open practitioners of sin, doing and making sin. But they are also led and ruled by it, and they become slaves to it. And I don't know, you might be sitting here thinking, I am not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I am not a slave to sin. Maybe that's what you're thinking. We'll go go and meet my dog. I have a dog called Milo. And he will generally just put it about doing his own thing. Most of the time he's sleeping. But if I were to take him outside and to tie him up with a rope, he wouldn't like it. I know he wouldn't like it. Because he's not free. So he will fight against it. He, will, he would probably try and break it in one way, but the best thing he would probably do is chew it. And I believe he would chew through it no bother. Until he would get free, he would chew that rope. Otherwise, if he couldn't, I believe he would just give up and lay down and go to sleep. But say rather than tying him up, for example, I took a dog biscuit in my hand. And these wee biscuits that he loves. And if I, follow, and if I had one in my hand, and he would follow my hand anywhere I went, If I was inside, outside, if I put my hand under a blanket, I could bury my hand in the ground and he would follow my hand. If I twirled it up, he would jump for it. If I put it down, he would lay down. But then if I gave it to him, what would he expect? Another. He would expect another biscuit if I gave it to him. And I've done two different things with a dog. I've tied him up and I've held a biscuit in my hand. Now, I hope you see where I'm going with this. Where is Milo in the greater bondage? Where is he enslaved more so? And we can say that, well, the rope seems to hold him more in bondage when he is tied. But the truth is that the rope only binds him. The biscuit holds him in bondage entirely. He is enticed by it. He is consumed in getting it. And he will do anything it takes to have it. I could do anything I wanted with him while holding this. And when he eats it, when I give it to him, he comes back for more. And the whole process could start again. I could keep doing this all day and all week, but it would eventually kill him. The biscuits wouldn't do him any good. Now, you see, we are like the dog. The man with the biscuit is the devil, and the biscuit is our sins and our sinful distractions. The thing about the sin is that we love it. 
in our natural state. We chase after all sorts. Money, careers, houses, cars, kitchens, computers, phones, shoes, clothes, whatever it is. The devil knows exactly what each of us want and will put it before each of us. Whatever we chase after, we are guilty of being enticed by him. We end up being slaves to sin without it actually feeling like it's restraining us. Tell someone they are chasing the wind or they are slaves to sin and they might laugh at you. You'll never convince them he is a slave. And you know what? If you ever wanted a slave to be the best slave you ever had, you'd want him to think he was free. And the devil knows that and the devil is cunning in how he outworks his distractions and placing sin before us. He has you as a slave to sin, but he thinks that you are free. Just like the dog. The dog's not tied, but the dog is completely enticed by what I hold. The devil entices us, I believe, in a similar manner. Believing we are free, but actually we are fully enticed by what he does. And it is the son who sets us free from it. I have run out of time. It is the Son who sets us free from it. The Son, capital S, he is the one who has authority to set us free from whatever household we are in. We can become sons of God, but it is only the Son who can declare us free. And he comes with hard truths at the end of the passage, saying, we are of different fathers to the Jews, those who believe and those who disbelieve. And he makes a division in the Jewish nation. He says that you make no room for the word in your life. You make no room for it. The believer abides in it. But the person who does not believe makes no room for it in their heart. Jesus has been the dividing truth between the believer and the unbeliever. And he will be the dividing truth in eternity for all of us. And we must ask ourselves, and what family are we of? You must question yourself and ask, does the world hold me captive in slavery? Am I being led by the devil? Am I rejecting family privileges that God has placed before me, even this day as you gather and the word is set before you? But he says to all, Come to me, those who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And family truths can be hard, but Jesus' message is for our good, whatever it means for us. He is the one who can set us free, and he is the one that will adopt us into a family that is of love, and he will be a father to us. Amen. May these thoughts be blessed to us today. We'll conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 100. Psalm 100 in the Scottish Psalter, the traditional version, and that's on page 362. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. 
himself with mirth, his praise forth tell, come ye before him and rejoice. That is the prayer of all those who are gathered here, that all people on earth that dwell would sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, himself with mirth, his praise forth tell, come ye before him and rejoice. As he is one that reveals himself to us and that we know that he is the Lord and God. He is the Lord God indeed. And he is a God who shall from age to age endure. May we sing praise to him who is our Father, the one who has firmly stood, the one who will from age to age endure for all time. So let us stand to sing, all people on earth do well. thank you for this time of worship. We pray that we would all consider ourselves before you and ask what family we are a part of and who leads us and where our focus is and where our minds abide. Lord, be with us as we part. Be with those who lead the worship later and pray that we would know your blessing through it. Forgive us our sins, we pray, and all this in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.